0: Hello, and welcome to Teacher in Zion Podcast, a podcast for Christians, Mormons, ex-Mormons, and other Book of Mormon believers, or anyone questioning their faith or the Church, with an emphasis on seeking the truth, wherever it leads, but especially in gaining a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Doug Hatton, and this is episode 22 of the podcast, entitled... Ministry of Women. Because you know, as a man, I'm totally qualified to talk about the ministry that God gives to women. I'm hoping everyone out there can appreciate my sense of humor. In all seriousness, though, it would be great to be able to bring on a female guest in the near future who could share their perspective and insights on this topic. But for today, I'm afraid you'll just have to put up with listening to me. However, I would like to dedicate this episode to a special young lady named Lauren, who had met just last weekend at a joint worship service between our two congregations. I appreciate the conversation that we had, and it was because of that conversation that I decided to do this particular topic. Having been born and raised in the RLDS Church, I recall a conversation I had with a friend of mine when the split came over women in the priesthood in the 1980s we were just in high school then his family firmly sided in favor with the new direction the church was taking but since my family and congregation were firmly rooted in a more fundamental or conservative view of the scriptures i had serious questions about the recent revelation out of the leadership of the institutional church for those who are not aware of that history that revelation would ultimately cause a split in the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is today called the Community of Christ. In conversing with my friend about this change in doctrine, he made a logical argument regarding the fact that there were some women who were probably better speakers than many of the men in the priesthood, and why couldn't a woman serve and do many of the same things that men were called to do in the Church? and do it just as well. He did not believe that God would disallow women to perform ministry and serve in the body of Christ. He felt that it was because of the old culture of male dominance that women were relegated to lesser roles. I appreciated his argument. It certainly made me think. But as someone who came from a background where the scriptures were held in very high esteem, Intellectual arguments alone were not sufficient for me. To my way of thinking, we may not fully understand God's ways, but we need to go with what God says on the topic. I couldn't just toss the scriptures to the side. So I reminded my friend that Jesus chose 12 men to be his disciples. And I also let him know that I had a hard time imagining that Jesus would buckle under pressure from the culture of his day. Clearly, he was willing to upset the apple cart in every other way, so if women were supposed to be in the priesthood, surely he would have chosen at least one. Furthermore, Adam and Eve had no cultural traditions to overcome. After all, they were the very first humans. When they left the garden, there was no pre-established notion of male dominance, and yet Adam was given the priesthood, where Eve was not, at least according to the inspired version of the Bible where it indicates that the priesthood was then passed down from father to son. So at that point, it seemed that God was setting the tradition, not men. I feel a little sad looking back at that conversation all those years ago, because even the very context of our conversation was hindered by our limited understanding and even the terminology that had been taught to us according to the traditions of the church they kept us from being able to find the real truth of the matter. The truth I would ultimately learn over the years is that women do, indeed, have a tremendous ministry in the sight of God, much more than the church has ever allowed for. But in the same way that our society currently struggles to properly comprehend matters of gender equality, there likewise seemed to be the misunderstanding among church leadership in trying to implement their solution revealing that they had equated equality to mean sameness. Men and women are indeed created to be equal in the sight of God, but they were also created to be different. Both male and female roles bring something unique to the world, as well as to the body of Christ, except where we have snuffed out those potential ministries by the expectations laid upon us, according to our religious traditions and interpretation of scripture. The ministry of men and women are equally important, and both are greatly needed. But those roles are not the same. Many conservative-minded people who hear that will probably shout amen. But what we have failed to understand is that the limited roles we have allotted for women to play in the restoration have been and continue to be unscriptural and far more restricted than is proper. In fact, one of the understandings I have received from the Lord is that the true ministry that women have the potential to bring in the body of Christ is so powerful that Satan greatly fears it. He has gone to great lengths over thousands of years to suppress it. Even though, to my mind, I could not find any evidence that women were intended to gain what I began to call the priesthood of men. That knowledge did nothing to answer the quintessential argument my friend had made in questioning why women could not serve in various roles of ministry in the church, outside of being relegated to play the piano, perform a music special, or teach Sunday school to children. And as I studied the scriptures over the years, I found that God had indeed used women in a myriad of ways, in extraordinary, powerful ways some of which you may be aware of, but some of which I'm convinced most people are not. Either they have not seen it, or they have simply chosen to ignore it, simply because it doesn't fit the pattern we have convinced ourselves of. Even in the pages of the Old Testament, there were women who went far beyond what we have traditionally believed to be proper, and yet it is clear that God had called these women and worked through them, and the importance of those roles cannot be overstated. Let me clarify here that I cannot possibly teach a full understanding of this topic or answer every question. I am not really even qualified to do so anyway. I have yet to receive the fuller revelation of these things. But for more than a decade now, the Holy Spirit has placed in my heart a desire to better understand the role of women in these last days, and how we have erred in our understanding of it. And I believe that the Lord has placed it on my heart because it is important to Him. Through prayerful study, in seeking understanding from the Lord, and in pondering those things which I have already received, I have only partial answers. But I also have a promise that more light and truth is about to break forth. So please understand, what I'm going to share in today's episode is only a partial revealment. It is merely a glimpse into the fuller understanding that is yet forthcoming. Some of what I share may be very controversial or make some to feel uncomfortable in more ways than one. Not only may it be controversial in terms of speaking about the ministry of women, but controversial in regards to the very nature of priesthood itself. So I will share these things in humility, knowing that we only see in part, and knowing also that in the mouth of multiple witnesses, every truth will be established, understanding that others are likely to receive additional insight from the Holy Spirit. It is my prayer that as we share these things, we can begin to piece together those insights we have received and trust that God will help us to more fully realize the greater picture. Earlier, I stated that I feel some sadness as I look back on that debate that we had over women in the priesthood, because our conversations were indeed hindered by our limited understanding and even the terminology that was taught to us according to the traditions of the Church. We fell into Satan's great trap. Some years ago, I was shown how the adversary works among mankind. He not only creates a problem or a dilemma for us, But he then goes on to define for us the two solutions we are then to fight over. Seldom has humanity, even the more spiritual among us, seen through this deception in order to seek instead the solution that God has in mind on any given topic. Humanity must learn to break out of this trap. All those with a broken heart and a contrite spirit who hearken unto the voice of the Lord will eventually break free of this snare, And when this happens, it will be a spiritual revolution. First, let's talk about the priesthood. The word priesthood is so thoroughly ingrained in the heart of the Restoration that we cannot even imagine the Church without it. However, David Whitmer and others among the first elders of the restored Church have testified that the term priesthood was never used until sometime after Sidney Rigdon came along and began to persuade Joseph Smith of it. Up until that point, they only ever used the word authority, but mainly they simply referred to the titles of elder, priest, or teacher to describe the three basic ministries in the church up to that point. Many years ago, after a forty-day fast I'd done, while standing in the upper chamber of the Kirtland Temple, which was designed for the priesthood to meet in, I felt the Holy Spirit grieved over that place specifically that room designed for the priesthood to meet in. Because of that experience, I have, at various times over the years, pondered and prayed about the nature of priesthood and the differences between what I found in the Bible and the Book of Mormon in comparison to what I saw in the Doctrine and Covenants. But never did I get firm answers except for an understanding that placing priesthood on a pedestal was wrong that they should assume the attitude of a servant, a lower station in the church than the members they served, and also that the notion of treating the various offices of the priesthood as a hierarchy was problematic. And finally, that all true authority actually came directly from God, and not from any man who had another man lay hands on him, who had hands laid on him, going back to Joseph Smith. All true authority comes directly from Christ and Christ alone. In 2019, while driving to work, I heard the Spirit of the Lord quote a portion of a parable of Jesus to me, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. I sat still, waiting, wondering why God had quoted this parable. And then the Spirit spoke again, and he said, This is the story of the Restoration. In 2020, I felt the Holy Spirit impress upon me the following words. There is a problem with the understanding that the Restoration people have in regards to priesthood. Then, sitting in church one Sunday in 2021, the person preaching that day opened up to a scripture from the Doctrine and Covenants, And the Spirit asked me, Who is speaking in the two revelations on the priesthood and the Doctrine and Covenants? I was stunned by the question. Searching my memory, I recalled those revelations would be section 17 and 104 in the LDS Doctrine and Covenants section 20 and 107. And as my thoughts raced, and all of my recollections about the Doctrine and Covenants Generally speaking, it seemed that Christ usually identified himself as the one speaking in those revelations. But here God was asking me this question. I never did hear the rest of that sermon. I picked up my Doctrine and Covenants and began to read those two revelations. And to my great astonishment, neither of these two revelations identified who's speaking. In one place only, buried deep in section 104, in the LDS section 107. Does it appear that Joseph is quoting something directly from the Lord that the Holy Spirit may have told him? But besides this one place, these revelations have the appearance of Joseph simply enumerating everything that he understood about the priesthood up to that point, without identifying how he came to this knowledge. In fact, it is made quite plain in numerous places in both of these revelations that these revelations are not the very words of God but instead the words of men, as the very point of view spoken throughout the revelations, is that of a man who is expounding. In fact, they even speak about God in the third person. I was stunned. What are you trying to show me, Lord? In June of 1829, Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery, and David Whitmer received a commandment through the year in Thumen, which told them to rely upon the things which were written in the Book of Mormon, For in them were all things written concerning Christ's church. I did a word search in the Book of Mormon and found that the term priesthood is only used in the Book of Alma, which is in the Old Covenant portion of the Book of Mormon. And it refers to the high priesthood, which it states was preparatory in nature, so that people might know to look forward to the Son of God, it being a type of His order, that they might look forward to Him, Christ for a remission of their sins. Nowhere else is that term used. Never is the word priesthood used during or after Christ set up his church on this continent. Neither is it used in the New Testament after Christ set up his church at Jerusalem, except in the book of Hebrews, where it speaks of Christ fulfilling the role of our high priest. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he refers to all believers by saying, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. There is only one other Christian denomination which uses the term priesthood and places such a heavy emphasis on it, that being the Church of Rome, even the Church of the Dark Ages, which is the same church that the Book of Mormon referred to as the Great and Abominable Church. How curious it is that the restored church would begin so much more Pentecostal in nature, but then go on to evolve in such a way as to have so much in common with the Catholic Church, even having our own version of a Pope, a man who would sit at the head of the Church in the stead of Christ, whom we should look to for the word of the Lord. In the Book of Mormon, as well as in the New Testament, and in the early days of the restored Church, when the gifts of the Spirit were in abundance, before the whole Church fell under condemnation, The ministry roles of men in the church were simply known by words used to describe the type of ministry they did, whether a teacher, or an elder, or an apostle, but never did they refer to them as priesthood. In 1842, Newell K. Whitney and Joseph Smith expressed to the women of the Relief Society the following, In the beginning, God created man, male and female. And bestowed upon man certain blessings peculiar to a man of God, of which women partook, so that without the female side, all things cannot be restored to the earth. It takes all to restore the priesthood. Although it is possible, as I have theorized, that the use of the term priesthood here isn't ideal under the new covenant, it was the term they were using at that time to express God's call upon a man's life. Either way, I sense that there is a quintessential truth being relayed to the women here that God intended to call upon certain people on the earth, both male and female, to bring forth various ministries to the rest of humanity, and that there are ministries he has chosen to call upon certain men to perform, and that certain women are also called to partake in ministries God intended for women to bring forth to humanity and that together these two halves of the ministry, the masculine and the feminine, would constitute the full restoration of the ministry that God had in mind all along. I know that some brothers from the Church of Christ Temple Lot, otherwise known by some as Hedrachites, have told me that they believe their wives partake of their priesthood and are to assist them in their calling. And I believe there is truth in this, but as we will see later from the scriptures, it appears that God has called women into some very powerful ministries, even without a husband. So whether a woman is married or not, or has a husband who is called into an office or not, it does appear that a woman can be called by God to minister in ways that are uncommon according to our traditions. As I previously said, The term priesthood was never applied to the ministry of men set forth in the New Testament of the Bible or in the New Testament portion of the Book of Mormon. However, according to Ephesians chapter 4, Christ did set some in the church to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, the general membership of the body of Christ was not merely a tithe-paying audience to attend services and look up to the priesthood, but they were actually the primary missionary arm of the church. They were, all of them, equipped by the various ministries to understand and begin to minister themselves and work in the gifts of the Spirit. Men, women, and children witnessed, prophesied, healed the sick, and brought souls to Christ. There's something very wrong about how the institution has the idea of the membership who then go to church to attend a service where they are expected to sit and observe performance of certain priesthood men. In reality, we, the people, are the church. And any gathering should be the gathering of many small fires coming together into one great fire for the Lord where we all stand and minister and be ministered to by each other where we testify and prophesy and speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit and lay hands on the sick among us to heal them. The men who were called into positions of ministry in the church were to train and equip those people who were immature in the faith so that they might come up into maturity and be able to participate as part of the body of Christ. Remember, we are the body of Christ and a body serves the head. Every part of it serves the head. We are to be directed by the head, who is Christ, according to the unction of the Holy Spirit. And everything I have read regarding research on how the early church in Jerusalem functioned, and what we see in Moroni chapter 6, that this is how the church came together and worshipped. Every branch of Mormonism has gotten its tradition for how we are to have church from the Protestants, who got it from the Catholics who got it from the pagans, which set men upon a pedestal even as a light in order to create followers who are to be dependent on them. And here we are, finding ourselves in the mid-1980s, arguing and splitting over the right to bring women into the same error, rather than addressing the real issue at hand. Dick Bauman testified that about the time when changes were beginning to be introduced into the church in 1985, the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice, saying, The great separation is about to take place. This separation is not over women's ordination, or open communion, or who's fundamental, and who's liberal, or who believes in polygamy or not, but rather, who believes what the Book of Mormon says. I truly believe this testimony is of God, that this is the real division to God's way of thinking. I don't believe he has sided with either the liberals or the conservatives because neither had the real solution. We are caught in this trap because the early church got caught up in the concept of priesthood and the elevation of men to high offices and the membership was essentially taught to look to men for their salvation rather than Christ and to look to men for guidance rather than from the Holy Spirit. Not only did the church fall into grievous errors and come under condemnation for treating both the New Covenant and the Book of Mormon lightly. But something else began to happen. The gifts and the ministry that came from the membership of the body of Christ, both men and women, began to diminish. Instead, the gifts and all ministry was increasingly left to the priesthood. A dependency on the priesthood began to form, and it wasn't exactly discouraged either. And where did this leave the women? The ministry God may choose to call some men into is not supposed to be an elevation to a position over the body of christ but a step down into humble servitude it is supposed to be a lower position and men who are called to do this could be called to teach or to baptize or to travel and evangelize souls to christ and when god calls upon a man to minister in a particular way inherit within that calling is the authority to perform that work but are women not also called into positions of humble servitude in the body of Christ? Is this not also a calling from God? Emma Smith was ordained not only to make a selection of hymns, as people love to emphasize, but also to, quote, expound scriptures and to exhort the church, end quote, which nobody ever talks about. See RLDS Doctrine and Covenants section 44 or section 25 on the LDS. Whether or not women are to be given a title or ordained by the laying of hands, if God calls upon a woman to minister to the body of Christ in a particular manner, then is there not an authority there, one given to that woman, which is unique not only to her, but to the manner in which women were created? God has called upon women to evangelize and teach others about Christ, even as Priscilla did in the New Testament. She and her husband both taught one of the disciples of John the Baptist, a man who was strong in the Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us that she instructed him more perfectly. But many believe, from the writings of one man, that this would be improper. My grandmother taught the adult Sunday school class in Michigan for many years, And although there were people from other congregations who looked down upon a woman teaching men, most would acknowledge that she had more knowledge of the scriptures than most men in the priesthood. Much has been said about a couple of passages in Paul's writings, but I would remind you that although Paul was called of God, he was neither perfect or infallible. Even Paul himself confessed that he only saw or understood in part. Additionally, even though he was an apostle, He is still only one witness. God establishes his truth in the mouth of multiple witnesses. And I would also argue that we may not even know how to properly interpret some of Paul's writings. And it is also possible that there could even have been some corruption to the text. According to some biblical historians, one of his statements about women that are attributed to him appears to have been added to the Bible at some point, as it is not found in earlier manuscripts. The husband and wife team, Priscilla and Aquila, are mentioned six times in four different books of the New Testament. Most of the time, her name is mentioned before his. We know of a certainty that the Apostle Paul held Priscilla in the highest regard, having saluted her in a number of his letters, even though it is recorded that she and her husband both instructed men and women concerning the faith. There are even biblical scholars who believe that Priscilla may be the author of the book of Hebrews, which explains why there is no name attached to that document. They have theorized that the author never identifies themselves because having a woman's name attached to it may have been a reason for some to have rejected it in those days. We also see numerous prophetesses mentioned in the pages of both the Old and New Testament. Philip, the evangelist, had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, quoted the prophet Joel and said, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my Spirit in those days." In the book of Judges, it states that Deborah was a prophet, a judge of Israel. She rendered her judgments beneath a date palm tree between Ramah in Benjamin and Bethel in the land of Ephraim. The people of Israel had been oppressed by Jabin, the king of Canaan, for twenty years. Stirred by the wretched condition of Israel, she sent a message to Barak and tells him that the Lord God had commanded him to muster 10,000 troops of Naphtali and Zebulun and concentrate them upon Mount Tabor. She stated that the Lord God of Israel would draw Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, to the river Kishon. Barak refused to go to battle without the prophetess, and Deborah consented to go with him, but declared that the glory of the victory would therefore belong to a woman. As soon as the news of the rebellion reached Sisera, he collected nine hundred chariots of iron and a host of people. And then Deborah said, Go, this day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, with ten thousand men following him. And even as Deborah prophesied, a battle was fought, and Sisera was defeated. Following this, the Bible says there was peace in the land for 40 years. In 2019, I stood in a small group of worshippers in a humble apartment room and heard a woman speak the words of God and prophesy of the pandemic six months before it manifested in the world. And because of that prophecy, we inquired of the Lord and understood that although this had been unleashed on humanity by Satan, that God intended to use it for our good. We understood what we needed to do to make use of the time that would be allotted to us, and we did not get caught up in the politics of that day. What prophet, I ask, in either the LDS or our LDS or any other institutional church associated with Mormonism, who claims to have a prophet, was able to foretell this event? And did not the prophet Amos state, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants the prophets the prophets and the presidents of the mormon churches did not foresee this because god did not tell them of it but a woman in a small apartment one night was given the word of the lord and therefore she was his servant and a prophet of the lord around twenty twelve i was invited to attend a very special women's retreat the women attending would be both from the community of christ and the independent restoration branches which presented certain difficulties so it had been agreed upon that the women who believed that they held priesthood would not push that idea on the other women there i was invited by one of the women who had organized the event along with another elder a man i did not know we were invited so that priesthood could be made available for administrations and such toward the end of the day at dinner time the other elder excused himself and left the retreat I was left on my own. It had already been a very long day, but I stuck with the women because it seemed that they were just beginning to make some breakthroughs. Into the evening hours, confessions of hurts and injuries done to these women by people and events in their lives began to surface, and in tears these women shared their struggles and spoke of their desire to be healed. They began to call upon me to anoint them with oil and pray. I prayed over more than a dozen women in a row, and I became so exhausted I could barely stand. The Holy Spirit prompted me to encourage the women to lay hands on one another, not as priesthood or to perform an ordinance, but simply to pray for healing for their fellow sisters and lay hands on each other as they felt led to do by the Holy Spirit. For both the Bible and the Book of Mormon tells us that believers can do this. As they did so, I sometimes joined in and prayed with them not as a member of the priesthood, but as a fellow believer. This went late into the night. Many tears were shed. Something truly amazing was taking place, and God's Spirit filled the place. After all the women had been prayed over and ministered to, I collapsed in a chair to rest. That is when the women began to turn their attention to me. They asked if I needed prayer, if they could bless me, pray over me. In truth, I had been struggling that week, and although the retreat had been a blessing to me, I was still struggling over some things that were going on in my life. And in that moment, being exhausted both in body and spirit, among these women who were filled with compassion and desiring to bless me, I consented as a couple of dozen women surrounded me and laid their hands on me. I inwardly chuckled at the thought of how many of the priesthood in my congregation would probably have flipped out if they could see what was happening just then. And as the women began to pray, I felt their prayers, their desires to bless me, wash over me in waves of love and healing. And also the Holy Spirit, like a flame, burned within my chest. And as tears began to stream down my face, and upon their faces as well, I could only think, what an extraordinary testimony and experience. Nearly every time I have spoken about the potential ministry of women in a congregation, the women inevitably must then endure the patronizing speech made by some man, who asserts that we should not forget what a mighty gift and responsibility motherhood is. I doubt very much that women really need to be told by some man about motherhood those men should instead ask the women to instruct them. Let's be honest. There's only one reason that these men feel compelled to lecture on how awesome motherhood is whenever someone brings up the idea that women do indeed have ministry in the church, and that is to try to negate the truth and keep women in their place. As my new friend Lauren pointed out to me last Sunday, What man, speaking of the awesome responsibility of priesthood, is suddenly shut down by a woman who tells him what a great responsibility fatherhood is, as if he should be content with that role alone and be made to feel that this was all he was made to do with his life? On the other end of the spectrum, when I see women desiring to be as a man or minister as men do, I feel a great sadness because it is so much less than their true potential. However, when I see a woman ministering as a woman ministers, whether as a prophetess, or to lay hands on the sick and to heal them, or sing in the tongues of angels, or give a word, or dance before the Lord, or whatever it is that the Lord has called her to do in humility, but also in the confidence of what the Holy Spirit has moved upon her to do, it is a powerful thing to behold and a blessing that is largely missing in the church today. God not only made men and women to think and act in different ways, but he gave to each gender its own weaknesses and strengths. Where men are weak, women are strong, and vice versa. Likewise, there is a kind of ministry that God has called upon men to perform that is unique to them, and there is a kind of ministry that God has called upon women to perform that is unique to them. But within both ministries, there is also much overlapping in gifts and ability. There are areas where their ministries are similar. For example, both men and women may prophesy. But even in those areas of overlap, each gender may express those gifts in ways that are unique to them. Furthermore, I would dare venture to say that when the ministry of women is finally unleashed, and both the masculine and feminine ministries begin to work in concert with one another in the body of Christ, only then will we begin to see a fullness in ministry and a completeness in the gifts. When the ministry of both men and women begin to shake free from all the deceptions, errors, and traditions of men, and begin to walk in Christian harmony together according to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, then the kingdom of the devil will quake in fear and the whole body will begin to see more clearly. I have barely begun to speak on this topic, but I feel led to stop here. Ultimately, it is not my job to fully flesh out your understanding, nor could I do so. In fact, I know that I have much to learn from some of you out there, and particular from those women whom the Holy Spirit is beginning to guide and instruct in regards to the ministry that the Lord has called upon them to perform in these last days. I praise God for what he is doing and is about to do. When women of God rise up and walk in their ministry, it is going to be such a tremendous blessing for all those who are willing to receive it. Something that I am very much looking forward to. And if I haven't totally offended you yet, I hope you will join me next week. Please write to me and share your thoughts, feelings, or questions. I want to hear your testimonies. And I want to hear what the Lord has been teaching you. You can email me at teacher in Zion. That's all one word with no spaces at gmail.com. Until next time, God bless. Join us for discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hope of Zion. Or at our YouTube channel, Teacher in Zion. That's the word teacher, space, and in Zion, spelled as one word. My books can be found at Amazon.com forward slash author, forward slash Douglas Hatton. That's H-A-T, like a hat on your head. T-E-N, like the number of 10. Until next time.